Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, everyone. Today, we're chatting to Marissa Boudoir from the New Zealand Restaurant Association. The Restaurant Association acts as a link between good food and good business. They help restaurants and cafes connect to suppliers, mentors and more, help navigate regulation and legislation, while also advocating for the hospitality sector within government. We chat and learn more about the association, discuss how the hospitality industry is hurting and what we as customers can do about it. So without further ado, let's begin. Hi, Marissa, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for coming on the show. And um, just to kick us off, let's start at the really very beginning. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Like, do you have any favorite foodie memories you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I had quite an interesting childhood, actually. Um, I was born in New Zealand um, and left New Zealand when I was about two years old um, and traveled to the States with my parents. Um, My dad is a Kiwi who's Māori and my mother is American. And so her homeland is Colorado in the U.S. Uh, So that's where we went when I left New Zealand when I was two years old, was over to Colorado. So um, I like to think that I've had quite a like a rich sort of food history. Um, I've been exposed to lots of different types of cuisine, like traditional Māori um, kai, and also um, you know American cuisine, if there is such a thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also as as part of our um, journeys in the U.S., we also lived in, um, for a time in Arizona, which borders Mexico. And I've really, oh, okay. yeah, I've really fond memories of um, like Mexican cuisine. And we had this family um, friend named Olga, and she like you know taught us how to make tamales and tortillas, and yeah, some really I have some really fond memories of yeah learning some some real sort of traditional Mexican cuisine as well. So one of the questions I have then is that does everyone there eat nachos or is that just like a non-Mexican thing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they have their version of nachos, but it's definitely not as much as we sort of see in the Western world, I think, for sure. I think that, um, yeah, I don't know, Mexican cuisine, it's always very, like, fresh, lots of coriander, spices, um, Mm. yeah, and, like, sort of really... Um, yeah, like, I guess sort of tortillas are very plain, but you really sort of add flavor to that through, you know, the the meats that you're cooking with and the fresh vegetables and the spicy salsas and that sort of thing. Mm. And you said your dad was Maori, so did he miss like Kai when you were in America? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and he would try and sort of recreate his own um, favorite, which is um, like pork and puha, which is um, puha is like thistle. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but like the mixture of the two in sort of a traditional kind of boil up is what another name for it. Um, mm. It was one of his favorite foods and something he missed obviously quite a lot when he was in the States, but he sort of would occasionally try and recreate it. It never really tasted the same as it does when you're in New Zealand, but, you know, he still (laughs) tried to recreate that. 
Okay. So um, tell us, like, what have you been doing from a career perspective all these years? How did you end up finding your way to the Restaurant Association? Well, it's interesting, actually. And when you kind of look back on things, I don't know, I guess in anyone's life, yeah, there's always things that kind of led you or turns you you take in life that you later think, ah, that was the moment that sort of decided my fate. But um, <laughs> basically, I studied... Um, you know, anthropology, organization, organizational behavior, and then later law. Um, and while I was doing all these sort of this enormous study going on, I worked part time in hospitality um, and at times full time while I was studying as well, working um, full time and studying full time in hospitality. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, where I started my career working in cafes and restaurants Um and I really enjoyed the work that I did while I was studying. So um, when I graduated, I worked as a research assistant, but I kept working in hospitality as well because, well, at the time, you know, the money was quite good or I thought it was compared to a lot of my friends. I was, you know, bringing in decent money from hospitality and it really, it was so flexible that it really gave me the opportunity to, you know, sort of be my, the research assistant um, and also, you know, at nights I'd work in hospitality. So, you know, it just really worked well with, with what I was doing at the time. Um, and then after I sort of finished my degree, I actually loved working in hospitality so much and finished the research assistant um, work as well and decided to work full time in hospitality. Um, so... I really, yeah, enjoyed my time working in hospitality. I managed, um, I, I worked in some of the best restaurants in New Zealand at the time and then worked my way up to sort of maitre d' and, um, yeah, really, really had a great time. Um, and then I transitioned into, I did um, a couple of years working as um, a manager of taste and that was sort of around professional development and working in that space. Um, and then I worked for an international um, company called Transfield Services and worked as an associate in their legal sort of HR team um, for a few years as well. And then eventually made my way to the Restaurant Association. Okay. Wow. That's um, it's quite a quite the long journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And picking up such relevant kind of information and sort of skill sets along the way, because, you know, in my role at the association, I, I use pretty much everything that I, all of my past work has come into play. Um, I use my, the degrees that I've studied and, you know, it's, it's kind of like the culmination of, mm. you know, a lot of um, experience, I suppose. Yeah. Like Steve Jobs says, right. The dots only connect when you look backwards. Yeah. So true. <laughs> so true. And I guess uh, having that kind of firsthand hospitality experience is really relevant to the role that you're in now because that kind of, I mean, you know how it is to be there and do that kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I did it for, you know, many years um, while I was studying and then, yeah, kind of full time as well. So, yeah, it's really, it ha it is really important to the work I do. I understand. I I have lived and breathed hospitality, you know, in some, some form or another for the majority of my career. So for the uneducated, what is the New Zealand Restaurant Association? How long has it been around? Um, well, the Restaurant Association is basically a um, business 
association where we support New Zealand's diverse and creative hospitality businesses. And we are, as you said earlier, the link between good food and good business. And so we give advice, assistance on key industry issues. Um, we have, yeah, basically support for um, our members. We provide buying groups, discounts. Um, yeah, we promote the industry as well. We do a lot of advocacy and make sure that, you know, our, our sector's voice is heard in some of the big decisions that are made. But are you solely for cafes and restaurants or is it for all kinds of food producers? Um, it really is for for any business where food is the hero. That's kind of how I like to summarize it. Um, mm. You know, if food is an important part of your business, then there is, you know, there's something that the Restaurant Association can probably do to assist you. Mm. Okay. That's, uh, that's interesting because I always had the perspective that it was more for kind of cafes or restaurants. And and I guess, obviously, it is mainly for them. Mm. Um, yeah, if you're running, running like a food business or, I don't know, starting yeah. well, this food. Um, because now, like, the traditional model was, like, have a cafe. But now there's so many other business models that you could be doing. Mm, exactly. And I was going to say that um, 100%. You know, you, you might start with a cafe, but, you know, you might create your own, you know, sort of food line as a result of, you know, the reputation that you've sort of gathered in your restaurant. And, you know, there's meal kits and food delivery. And, you know, there's so many different aspects to, I guess, our industry now, restaurants and cafes. It, it goes beyond that. Um, and so we're happy to have a chat with any business, really. And it's really about, I think... Um, yeah, if it's relevant to you and if we can assist um, in some way, then I then I we're always happy to. For example, I've had a few calls from, say, rest homes recently that really want to get in touch um, with us to talk about, um, you know, I guess what they're doing in the rest home space and see if they, you know, we can help them enliven some of their offerings and that sort of thing. So we're always developing as we go along the way. Mm, okay, mm. that's Interesting. Yeah. And um, many people think of New Zealand as this kind of, you know, tiny little island. But I was really surprised when I was researching for this episode that it's actually an $11 billion industry, our hospitality industry. Is that true? Yes, it is. As of um, that, those were the sales figures for the year ending 2019. Um, okay. Yeah. And so it, it exceeds $11 billion. Um, so dining out is big business in New Zealand. Okay. I I did not I did not know that but pretty <laughs> good. I mean yeah. I guess a, a section of it is obviously because of how open we are to tourists and and all the work that we do there. Mm. But I, I agree with you that a lot more people like you know it's completely okay to eat out or do takeaways and it's it's a huge industry. Yeah, it really is and there's so many because it's sort of grown and developed over the years. There's so many different um I guess price points and offerings and th there's pretty much something for everyone you know mm. so I see that you all provide like weekly mentoring sessions there's also a helpline I personally um, I'm someone who's just started a food business something on the side awesome <laughs> I, think, I think that's amazing like can you tell us a little bit about what kind of mentoring services that may be yeah sure um so you know as you know starting that journey into your own business it can be sort of fraught with challenges, I guess. And, you know, it's a great and exciting experience. Um, 
But I guess the mentor line was set up as a place where people could kind of check in and um, regularly sort of have someone that they can trust and who's been involved in, in the food industry um, to really support them through that that sort of starting up process. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it might be running through your costings one week and the next week it might be sort of looking at your marketing and, and sort of what you're planning to do over the next six months. You know, there's just so many things that you need to think about when you're starting up your own business. It's just really nice to have someone that you can regularly check in with um, to go over some of, um, you know, those points that, it's just nice to have someone else to speak to um, who's been there and done that. And I mean, you can read a lot of books and you can, you know, sort of Google search heaps of articles, but sometimes there's nothing like just sitting down or, you know, even if it's via um, Zoom or something like that, just having a chat with someone who's been there and done that. That is that is so true. So, um, I mean, this is the second time I'm starting a food business and so I thought it would be easier, but just even getting to the starting line has been so hard. Like there's just so many things to think about. Like yeah. I remember the day I sat down, I was like, okay, let me make a list of everything I need to do in November. And then I was like, okay, wait, the list needs to be in like four columns because it's four categories. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so now what do I do? And I just like created this ginormous spreadsheet and like managed to confuse myself because I had no idea what to do next. Yeah. Um, there's like so many things to do, like you said. So it helps to just chat through that with someone and be like, okay, no, 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 do this first, then do that, then do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And by the way, we would be happy to help you as well. So definitely we'll have a chat later about that too, because I just, awesome. it's so nice to, <laughs> yeah, like you say, have someone to help you condense the spreadsheet. And, you know, I've seen our mentor, um, you know, he will even go as far sometimes as saying, oh, I think you need to take that off your list. Like, let's not even think about that in the the first 14 months. Let's put that on the three-year plan or, you know, let's let's condense what we're doing here and and make it a sharper offering or, you know, there's been so many different scenarios. And and that's equally important because I remember you just kind of end up going down these rabbit holes. Like you hear, I don't know, like Shopify store. Oh, Shopify store (laughs) (laughs) on that. Or, I don't know, compostable packaging. Oh, all right, let's go down the compostable packaging rabbit hole. So it can be really hard to just uh, figure out those like two or three things that you need to just, you know, zoom in on and and do. So I feel it's a really valuable service. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So what else? What what is some of the other key work that you do for the industry? Um, well, we do a lot of different things, um, really, but I think um, probably our most popular service is our legal line, and we call that our helpline. Um, mm. So that is uh, basically as members, you can um, ring in and you can get assistance on, you know, writing legal letters, putting together your employment agreements, um, someone to check over your terms of lease. Um, you know, all of these things that come into it that can be quite pricey as well if you are seeking sort of private um, counsel um, Mm. for little things like that that might come up during the day. So that's sort of a service that was really important to me to grow since I've been at the association. Um, And it really has. It's flourished. We now have sort of five people um, specifically looking um, and assisting members with their legal issues. Um, Yeah. So 
we get all sorts of questions coming through. Um, we also provide well-being support um, and help our businesses to do better business as well. So we run, run professional development. Um, we work with the Mental Health Foundation to make sure that, you know, that as business owners, we, we don't sort of burn ourselves out as well. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's about getting the balance and it's about sort of having tools on hand um, as well to help you through, you know, managing everything that you need to get through. Um, we also work with, um, we have a program called Hospo Start, where we work with unemployed New Zealanders and introduce them to hospitality. Um, and we partner with the Ministry of Social Development um, to run this program. But it's a program I'm really passionate about um, and have personally been involved in for, you know, since its inception. Um, but it's really, yeah, giving um, unemployed Kiwis a chance to try hospitality and hopefully, you know, kickstart a new career. Okay. Oh, that's amazing. And um, you had mentioned advocacy before. So could you tell us a little bit about um, the role that you've played there, um, especially like in the you know current scenario that we are in? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, we do. I personally do a lot of advocacy. That's part of my probably takes up quite a bit of my time um, as the CEO of the Restaurant Association. But it's something I'm really passionate about as well. Um, and, you know, particularly advocacy becomes even more important, I think, during times like we've experienced over the last, you know, sort of 10 months with COVID. Um, it really is a place um, where, you know, I will meet with um, government officials and ministers and, and just make sure that they understand the plight of the small um, to medium business owner and, you know, the wider hospitality industry as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really a chance for us to feed in and, and provide feedback directly from our members to the government. Definitely. And I think I think that's really important to have that person who is kind of uh, talking on behalf of the people. Right. Because mm -hmm. I don't know, um, I can't remember, but there was this article which was uh there a while ago which was like you know the tourism and hospitality businesses have had that strong advocacy factor which has helped you know with the um benefit that we had like the wage subsidy and so mm -hmm. on mm. while there wasn't as much advocacy for maybe the international student sector and so a lot of people did not know how much they were hurting because those people just did not have that voice yeah i about agree it. yeah it's so important um you know, and the thing is, is that advocacy, I think, is so important for any industry. And, you know, my dream would be to see it, um, you know, sort of demystified. And I and I do know a couple of people are working on this, actually. Um, Holly Bennett is someone that we work with at the association. And she, one of her um, projects that she's working on is really trying to make advocacy accessible to everyone and break down those barriers because it's such a powerful it's such a powerful tool to understand and be able to navigate. Um, yeah, whether you are on your own as an individual or whether you're representing an organization. Okay. Um, so just talking a little bit more about um, COVID, I heard on the AM show that your research indicates about 15% of restaurants will permanently close doors this year. Is that true? Yeah, well, at the time, um, I did a few interviews on the AM show. So I, I kind of am thinking that that one is probably one that 
was had maybe early on in the piece, like maybe right. April or something like that, um, mm. when we came out with those figures. And that was really based on if we as a country continue with a level four lockdown, um, you know, likely this is what the fallout will be. Um, right. But luckily we, you know, we weren't in level four um, for as long as initially indicated. Um, and so I guess, our industry um, has definitely dealt with a lot during this year, but that 15% um, was based on special conditions being met, I suppose. And luckily we haven't um, had to go back into another lockdown. We've had level changes, but it, it certainly hasn't been as severe as that sort of level four um, lockdown. Um, yeah. But many, we have seen restaurants close um, for sure because of COVID. Um, and many of those restaurants that have closed were successful and sustainable restaurants before COVID hit as well. So that's, you know, that's heartbreaking. Um, one of the restaurants I'm thinking of had actually been in business for 25 years um, and had very, very, um, very onto it um, business owners. Uh, and it was really COVID that sort of, I guess, put that final nail in the coffin for that business, unfortunately. And mm -hmm. Yeah, we heard several of those sorts of stories come through. I mean, and I agree with you, like the shutdown and what COVID's done has been devastating. But if we kind of look at the flip side, um, I feel that in some ways, and maybe part of the reason that we've managed to avoid that 15% figure is because a lot of businesses pivoted and, uh, you know, just like move, went on with like up, figuring out how they could change their business model. I've heard about restaurants moving into um, fine dine restaurants kind of doing the takeaway options and um, or, you know, getting into doing packaged food. So I feel in a way it's been good as well because maybe they were always on the brink of that but had never kind of thought about doing those things. Mm. And I think, yeah, I, I think you're definitely right Absolutely. I think whenever we're put into situations that forces us to sort of think outside of what we would normally do to survive, um, you know, we're always going to have, well, not always, but most of the time, um, we'll have some really positive outcomes as a result of that. And I think one thing with hospitality is that it's a really resilient um, sort of industry as well. It, it's filled with creative entrepreneurial people. And um, yeah, those weeks during lockdown gave many the opportunity to kind of rethink their business. And we at the association really went into overdrive with sort of some of our, I guess, our think tanks, we called them at the time, where we pulled in members and we thought, how can we, how can we work around this? What can we do um, to continue to sort of operate during these times? And there, you're right, there was some incredible innovation that happened as a result of it. I mean, I know because I started this podcast right after the lockdown finished. Mm -hmm. And in earlier episodes, I spoke to a couple of people who said, oh, you know, we just started this. Our original plan was to do a food truck. And then we started this as an online shop because, you know, maybe food trucks won't be kind of operating for a while. And now they've what they've found is that the online part's really taken off and they themselves have been surprised by, yeah. by you know? <laughs> absolutely and those are the priceless stories honestly they're 
they're the stories of hope that we've heard, you know, and um, it really is. I, I've, like you, have heard so many, you know, kind of incredible stories of survival and creativity and, you know, and those people actually doing probably better than they thought they would have by heading down this other pathway. I, I love those stories. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we were talking about resilience before and I was reading on your website that you host something called the Resilience Awards. Mm. So, what was the thinking behind that? That is quite an unusual, but I think an amazing award. So thank you. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of kind of leads quite nicely on from where we were talking, really, because yeah, we do. We these resilience awards really came about um, because of COVID, and they were developed this year, just because of the you know just as I said before, just the incredible stories that we heard. We were just overwhelmed with some of the stories of hope and um, creativity and just community spirit um, and those that innovative and innovated and changed and, and people who found silver linings in the most challenging of times. And though the awards are really to recognize those people who have gone above and beyond to keep, you know, their people employed, help their communities and keep their businesses alive all while trying to play their part in stamping out the virus. So yeah, we just thought we need something to really recognize these incredible people. And I think that's, that's great because also, I mean, maybe I just speak to hospitality because I've always been in the food space, but um, there's just sometimes this attitude of like, yeah, you know, just bring it on and I'm just going to do this and I'm going to do this. And it's good to actually pause and be like, yes, actually I did really well mm. and we did cope. So let's celebrate that before we kind of, you know, onwards and upwards type of thing. Yeah. I totally agree with you. There's, there's not enough moments of just, yeah, reflecting and, and patting ourselves on the back and um, yeah, the business owner is just sort of reflecting and saying, yeah, we did pretty well to get through all of this, you know? So mm. it is, it's so important. Cool. Um, so another kind of going a sidestep, um, obviously this was an election year and uh, one of the topics that was talked about a lot um, was the minimum wage. You know, like on the one side, there was the argument that the ever increasing wage was a real cost for the business owner in a time when, you know, they didn't really need it. Um, and then on the other hand, I mean, you know, hospitality is all about people and paying people a living wage is really important because your entire business is, um, you know, based on how, how they're amazing they'll treat your customer. So what are, what are your thoughts on the subject? Yeah, it's always a really, I guess, delicate subject, um, to be honest. Um, I think, as you said, our, our whole proposition in hospitality is, is sort of built on people and hospitality owners are incredibly generous people and they really care deeply about their staff. And I'm talking about the majority of business owners um, and especially all those ones that belong to the restaurant association. Um, but honestly, we hear some incredible stories and um, from business owners really just supporting their staff going above and beyond. Um, and oftentimes the businesses will go without paying themselves to ensure that their teams are paid. Like, you know, I heard many stories about business owners sort of moving out of their homes and renting them out uh, and going renting themselves so they could afford to keep their teams on this year, you know? And so wow. I guess those are the people that I sort of speak to every day. So I know that these 
hospitality business owners, yeah, are, are generous people and genuinely care about their teams. Um, and I think there's always the food, um, the sort of food costings in our sector can be pretty tight as well. And so it's just, it's finding the right balance, I think. And um, we always, you know, we always want our people to be paid fairly. And we recognize that there is a need to review, um, you know, the wages in our sector on a regular basis. But at the same time, when we're managing a pandemic, may not be the best mm. time to sort of um, enact a wage increase, which we did experience this year in April, right in the midst of, you know, sort of a lockdown um, or just after. Um, so, you know, for me, I think it's getting the right balance. Um, we definitely want um, people to be paid fairly. And many of our members support a living wage as well. But I think there's, it's about getting the balance right as well. Mm, I agree with you. Um, so taking another sidestep, um, I want to hear about this petition that you had submitted. Um, you had done some, a petition called Dine Out to Help Out. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was about and how that's been progressing since you submitted it? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Dine Out to Help Out campaign was based on something that um, rolled out in the UK, actually. And, and it really is all about subsidized um, dining. Um, and it involves the government subsidizing the cost of dining out to drive more people into restaurants and cafes. And so we started this petition. Um, uh, when was it now? Gosh, a couple of months ago before um, Parliament had their last um sitting uh, before the election. And so we didn't really have a lot of time to pull together the petition, but in five days we managed to collect nearly um, 4,000 signatures. And it was the ninth most signed petition live on Parliament's website um, for those four and a half days. Um, and we basically, uh, Chris Fafoy, Honorary Chris Fafoy received the petition in Parliament um, it was August, actually. Yeah, end of August. So we're awaiting feedback on the initiative, along with a raft of other targeted support measures that we've put forward to, to government. Um, and we hope that we'll hear more about the, the Dine Out to Help Out petition in the next few weeks. Okay, well, I, I hope it um, goes ahead. It sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's like a win-win for everyone, right? Like well, exactly. It's like, like just kind of getting people back outside, um, eating out and, yeah, kind of because a lot of people are almost kind of like scared. <laughs> scared. I don't I don't know. Like mm. for our team lunch, like we've been planning this team lunch for ages. Mm. And every time we plan it, <laughs> the levels change and then it doesn't happen. So right. now it's this like thing we're like should we even plan it <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but because of that I mean and that's happened to a lot of other teams and like just people in general so it, it does help to have something where you have that incentive to go out and you know just help your help your local industry out and local yeah. Exactly. I totally agree with you. And we've heard many messages from, you know, the dining public as well at the Restaurant Association. You know, we've had people calling us and, and talking about their fears as well in terms of, you know, um, heading back out again. And mm -hmm. we thought that the dine, dine Out to Help Out campaign would be a good incentive to, you know, just help people get out and about and reconnect with um, 
with their loved ones and whatnot. In saying that, though, we have seen some really positive um, trading happening in October, which has been really good. But with the latest sort of Auckland scare, you know, we've seen a little glip happen again. So I think mm. anything we can do to sort of encourage people to dine out and, um, you know, if the government were to subsidize that, well, that would be just incredible. Cool. So um, tell us just before we wrap up, like what is some of the other work that you're looking forward to achieving in the new year? Um, one of the things that we're um, working on at the moment, um, well, there's many things actually, <laughs> but probably my my top sort of focus as we um, are rounding to the end of the year and, and starting and looking at 2021 is I'd really like to see um, hospitality business uh, business owners um, and our sector get more support from um, the government. So we'd like to really have a hospitality minister. That's one of the things that we're advocating for at the moment. Um, we think that, you know, with COVID um, happening, it's just really shown us as a sector, even though we have been really successful in getting our voices heard this year, we think that having a hospitality minister would, would help sort of fast track some of the work that we need to do as a sector. And we'd love the yeah. opportunity to work alongside, you know, our own minister. Um, yeah. One of the other things that we're working on as well is a worker support fund as well. So um, it's really focusing on um, workers who may be displaced in hospitality, um, and it's providing them an opportunity to connect with the, with the association and for us to help them like rework their CV, maybe place mm. them into a different business, um, you know, because we are connected with so many hospitality business owners. Um, we think that something like that would probably work really well, being able to sort of easily redeploy people um, within our sector. We know where the jobs jobs are and, and who needs them. So that's sort of one of the other things that we're working on at the moment as well. Um, I think that um, that second one that you're saying, sorry to interrupt, but um, just as amazing because finding the right staff is so hard. Yes. And um, on the other side, you have people saying finding the right job is so hard. But <laughs> like I've been on both sides and I just feel like when I was trying to hire someone, I was like, oh my God, where do you even start? Like none of the job websites help. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really hard to kind of get that in it. And, and because hospitality is so reliant on the people, right? Mm. Like, uh, unlike any other industry, mm. um, I feel like you're only as good as your people. So it's just, yeah, I feel like a huge need. Yeah, I totally agree. It is. Um, it's really challenging for um, our business owners uh, to find the right people. And like you say, it's so important to their offering. Um, you know, it's part of what hospitality is all about. Um, and then, you know, we want to attract more people into hospitality um, because, you know, obviously, I am biased, but I see just what an incredible um, industry it is and, and how many pathways there are that you can explore. Um, you know, so the job possibilities are endless, really. Um, one of the things we've also got going on um, is we've, we have taken over the Auckland Hospital Jobs Facebook page, Wellington and Christchurch. So that's okay. a really great place to go if you are kind of, you know, know anyone who's looking for work in hospitality. They can post a little something about themselves. And um, we've got on the Auckland page, we've got 27,000 followers. Um, you know, Wellington, I think there's 20 thousand Christchurch is around 10 so you know it's a great place to jump on if you are looking for work 
Okay. Oh, that's that's really useful. And actually, um, on that subject, I had one more question, actually. Um, sure. <laughs> and that was like, just your thoughts on, you know, often there's this perception that you work in hospitality for when you're like in college or uni or, you know, just when you're like starting out your career. And it's not something that you'd like kind of dedicate your life to. I mean, very, mm. very rarely you'll find people who just like their whole life they would have worked in hospitality. Um, like what are, what are your thoughts on that? Because, I mean, you've been so closely associated with the hospitality industry, like you said, pretty much your whole career mm. or like kind of advice, I guess. Um, mm for those starting out in the industry? Yeah, I think, well, my advice would be is, you know, if you are just starting out, um, that there are so many different pathways that you can head down within your career. If you, um, you know, being in hospitality doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to always love cooking because there's plenty of other, you know, jobs in a restaurant. There's the front of house um, jobs. There's sort of managing. There are social media manager type jobs, you know, there's a lot of communication and PR and marketing. Um, there's lots of facets within our sector. Um, and as you mentioned as well, there's, you know, the producing side of things as well. And starting off in hospitality can lead you down a really interesting path in say the wine sector as well, or food producer. Um, there's just so many different um, paths you can go down. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, before I let you go, um, we're going to head into my favorite part of the show, which is called Fast Food 5. Okay. And it um, has nothing to do with fast food. Um, <laughs> five fast questions about food. So I'm quite proud of the pun. So <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. Okay. Casual cafe or degustation menu? Oh, my goodness. Uh, degustation. Okay. The first word that comes to your mind when I say buffet. Um, gosh, the first word that came to my mind is breakfast. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the only time I seem to have had buffets buffet. for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. Though I must say, um, I mean, I, I don't think there's anyone better than you to say this to because um, India actually has some amazing buffets. And uh. I wish more variety in that kind of um that space uh in New Zealand mm. I think all the buffets here are just very like blah in the sense of you know there's the usual like your roast lamb and roast chicken and yeah. bread and blah but it's like there's just no kind of imagination yeah, right, um, actually yeah I feel like I feel like there's a lot we could do there <laughs> I agree 100% and I think also um, yeah, you're right. Like sort of in India and other places around the world, like they really embrace buffet and it is like an art. Yeah. Like, I mean, so they had uh, one of the key arguments some people have against buffets, like the food wastage. Right. Mm. Uh, and so in India, they had this thing called a midnight buffet, um, which I, do, I don't actually see it working in New Zealand, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's basically that particular buffet only opens up at 11 o'clock in the night. Mm. Um, and it's the, the normal buffet at half price and you basically just get half price or even lesser than that. Um, and yeah, it's just the normal buffet, whatever's there, but you get it at half the price for if you are fine to wait to have your dinner till like 11 o'clock. That's amazing. Well, you know what? They're actually looking at, there's doing, they're doing a whole bunch of research. When I say they, the powers that be like government cou councils 
are really looking at ways to kind of boost the nighttime economy. Um, And so something like that could potentially, you know, be something that's added to the list. I, I, I love it. (laughs) okay Uh, this is what advocacy is called guys by the way (laughs) all right um favorite type of restaurant from like a cuisine perspective cuisine oh that's so hard this is definitely not ending up the fast (laughs) (laughs) sorry um oh my goodness I love Japanese okay Yeah. yeah Yeah, definitely. And I, I think Japanese is really kind of having its moment in moment in time. Um, mm. I food is just so such fresh flavors, and I think um, given us kind of seafood industry as well, it lends really well to it being produced here in New Zealand. Exactly, and that's I think one of the reasons why I love it so much is just the seafood and the like the the clean kind of crisp fl- flavors and, and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, just really mm. love it. Okay. Um, if you owned a restaurant, which kind would, would you own? Oh, if I owned a restaurant, what kind would I own? It would probably be, I'd probably go for a, probably a cafe, but a sort of high-end cafe. Okay, mm. nice. All right. And last question. If uh, you were a vegetable, which one would you be? <laughs> if I was a vegetable, um what would I be? Oh, that's a tough one, actually. I guess I could just say my favorite um, vegetable, and that's mushrooms. Okay. Yeah. Mushrooms is good. And and they're quite nice, actually. They're really versatile. Yeah, exactly. A good meat replacement. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, full of, um, you know, good vitamins. And yeah, I love a good mushroom. And there's so many different varieties um, at the moment as well, like some really interesting, you know, mushrooms coming out. So yeah. And there's these companies which like give you like grow your own mushrooms. Yeah. Have you tried that? No, I I really want to try it. That is going to be my 2021 list of things. I'm adding growing mushrooms to it. Cool. <laughs> well, part of the reason for this podcast is that you should end up hungry after each episode. So I think I'll achieve that because I'm really hungry now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go. Thank you so much, Marissa, for joining us. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much as well. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.